Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. The healing of a boy with the Spirit. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around and some scribes arguing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they ran immediately over, they, they were immediately overcome with awe. They ran, and they ran too forward to greet him. He asked, what are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I have brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And it seizes him, it dashes him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they cannot do so. He answered them, you faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him immediately convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you are able, all things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, it rebuked, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, you never, uh, spirit that keeps this boy from speaking and hearing, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he was able to stand. When he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, This kind can come out only through prayer. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. So this moment in Jesus' ministry is shaped by the same thing that shaped every moment of his ministry, the kingdom of God. I don't use that term as often, but the kingdom of God is what I mean when I speak of the promised day of God. 
I don't know what you think of when you think of God's promised day. Maybe you think of the food pantry having a slow day because we finally figured out how to share enough so that everybody has enough. Maybe you think of casting off some old regrets and moving into a new day of grace. Maybe you think of those tender places in your own heart that have been battered by grief or disappointment, being comforted with a love that makes the pain almost impossible to remember. I don't know what it makes you think of, but Jesus consistently taught us that God intends us to live with one another in a life defined by love. Now, we miss that a lot. We miss that. But the promise is ultimately God is going to make it right, that everything that has gone wrong in us and in the world will be made right. That's God's promised day. So do you trust that God's going to come through with that? It's pretty big. It's a promise. It's a promise that, that I base my life on and hope shapes every choice. But it is so big, it's not a promise that I hold with certainty. It's a promise I hold with belief and unbelief. I'll come back to that. So, you are here. This room is full this morning. That makes you pretty special and a bit unusual. The Pew Research Center is reporting something that is, I think, only news to those at the Pew Research Center, which is that fewer and fewer Americans are identifying themselves as Christian these days. The American population, those who claim themselves to be Christian, has declined by 12% in the last decade. This is particularly true among young adults, where among millennials, less than 50% identify as Christian. And just as significant, those that do, the Pew Research Center reports, are less observant. Translate that they go to church less. The, the, we sense this reality in our own denomination as the Presbyterian world gets smaller and smaller every year. Indeed, the last time the Presbyterian Church USA showed a net gain in membership, Lyndon Johnson was president. Our presbytery, which is the Presbyterian congregations within just approximately an hour's drive in any direction from here, our presbytery has declined as well over the last six years. We have gone from having a hundred congregations in this presbytery to having 82. And over that same period of time, the membership in the presbytery has declined by 25%. More than that, a majority of the congregations in our presbytery and in our denomination, for that fact, have 50 members or less. They care for each other. They endeavor to be faithful. They have rich history. But in most contexts, it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard to sustain when your numbers are small. So I anticipate that the downward trend in membership will continue. 
Now, while this is not our story here at Village, for which I am grateful, it is a story among most churches in the country. Fewer and fewer people seem to think that church really matters. So the fact that you're here makes you a bit unusual. There are loads of studies that look at the folks who are opting out and ask what's going on with them, and that's probably a good question, but I find the more interesting conversation to be not about them, but about us. And I wonder, I wonder if the problem is increasingly our neighbors look to the church and wonder if it makes any difference. I wonder if the church has suggested that faith is small. The ministry of Jesus was about big things, the biggest things in your life and the biggest things in this world. We hear it in this story. A desperate father brings his ailing son to Jesus. Can you help my son, he asks. He's bringing not just his son, but his heart, his whole life. Nothing else matters more than this. Can you make life better, he asks. And Jesus almost cavalierly responds, well, all things are possible if you believe. What is that? All things are possible? It sounds like Jesus is being dishonest because you know that's not true. All things are not possible, belief or not. Peter Pan tells you you can fly if you believe, but I don't recommend jumping off your roof. It's not going to turn out well. All things, clearly not. So what do we make of this? If I understand it, in this moment, like every moment, Jesus is talking about the same thing, the kingdom of God, the promised day of God, the life that God intends for all. Jesus is promising that that life can show up in us if we just trust it. When Jesus asks, do you believe, it's not a theology exam. He's not asking what you believe about Jesus or particular things that you should believe about Jesus. It's much bigger than that. It's asking, can you trust him with your life? The Greek word translated believe is pistuo. A better translation is trust. They're similar, but not the same. Belief sounds like an intellectual thing, doesn't it? You can, you can believe forgiveness, for example, is a good thing. But if you trust it, you might actually forgive. You see, what I believe influences my thoughts. What I trust influences my choices. It shows up in my life. What Jesus is asking is can you trust me with the biggest things of your life? To which this father says, yes and no. Yes, but it's hard when I'm afraid. Yes, but there are other voices that tell me it's crazy. Yes, 
but I can't see the way all the way clearly. Jesus is asking, can you trust that life can be different, that the way that things have always been don't have to be the way things will always be. Jesus is not asking for small things, like that you trust people can be kind, or that you can find beauty in the day, or that you can survive some mistakes. He's asking, do you trust God can bring life from death, that God can change us and our world? that the love of God can heal that which is broken in us and in all. And he said, I believe, help my unbelief. And I love the honesty of that because the gospel of Jesus is big. So he's not saying help my unbelief because he's not committed. He, he's saying help my unbelief because he recognizes that this faith is too big to shrink down into certainty. It is too big to squeeze down into something that can be carried easily. No, it demands all of us in every moment. It's not something that we know as much as something that we live. That's why this father prays, I believe, help my unbelief. And I wonder, I wonder if belief that is big like that, so big that it can only be carried with some wonder, that it can only be carried with some mystery, when it can only be carried with some confidence that is, that is not completely explainable. I wonder if belief that big that requires a little unbelief is seldom found in the church. The same people who report the decline in Christianity in this country in the Pew study, if you ask them what they see in the church, most of those folks, they say it's pretty simple. The church has forfeited her moral authority because the church judges people, seems to delight in pointing out the failure of others because the church, and particularly her leaders, fail to live basic principles of morality, because the church excels in being exclusive, particularly in the condemnation of the LGBT community, the church is more self-righteous than loving. That's what they say. That's what they say. No, I, I hope you know I am not pointing my finger at you, because I don't think that's you at all, actually. I don't think that describes you in the least. The problem, the problem is when folks think of Christian faith in America, they don't think about you. They think about Joel Osteen. They think about Pat Robertson or James Dobson or Franklin Graham. And when those guys talk about God, God sounds pretty small. That's why I think it is more important maybe than ever for you as village to be village. From our first moments more than 70 years ago, you have offered a witness to Jesus Christ that was big, it was bold, reverent, 
respectful of our community, a witness to Jesus Christ that has caused me on time, from time to time, to pray, I believe, help my unbelief. Let me just give you two examples. The first, last Sunday, Desiree from Avenue of Life came to thank you for supporting the work of Avenue of Life, of eliminating homelessness among students in Wyandotte County. See, I am convinced of this. In God's promised day, there aren't going to be children living under bridges or cow surfing. In God's promised day, everybody has a home. And so if that is true in God's day, then today we live toward that vision that we might address that problem. Will we solve it all? I doubt it. But we can move one day closer. And the Sunday before last, Tom Messelman came from Fort Porch Alliance to thank you for being 20 years in partnership in the Ivanhoe neighborhood. Front Porch is more than a program or an idea. It is a commitment to relationships. Now, will, will that heal all the divisions in our city? I don't think so. But God has promised a day will come when we will finally see each other as family. And I think Front Porch is helping us move one day closer. And the week before that, we lifted up the good work you're doing, not just in this city, but around the world, in the Dominican Republic, in Haiti, and at the U.S. border, and in Kenya. This is the point I'm making. You walk your faith. Every week, we try to live in a way that gives demonstration to our trust in God's promised day. You walk your faith. And we know that anything that erodes human flourishing, anything that diminishes human life is not consistent with the promised day of God. So the, the people who trust in God's day must be engaged in, in lifting up our neighbors with dignity with compassion, with justice, with forgiveness and grace. And you do that. You walk your faith every day. But there's something else you do. You also talk your faith. We have serious problems in our world and there are very few people who are having serious conversations about them. The Arctic is warming twice as fast as the rest of the planet. California is enduring their new normal with 9 million acres burned in 2018, and it looks like it will be higher in 2019. Suicide is increasing both among young people and among veterans. And last year in Kansas City, 135 people were murdered, and 125 of those were killed with some form of firearm. And we don't know how to talk about any of this because we're polarized. We seem to celebrate division, 
The, we have a binary approach to conversation. For example, you either support the Second Amendment or you want to take everybody's guns. You either believe in the scientific consensus on the climate or you care about the economy. We have this kind of binary conversation about all the important things, and it is handcuffing us to the status quo, and people are paying for it with their lives. We need a new way of conversation. And I think you can model that here. America has divided herself left and right with everybody assuming their side is holy and the other side is either stupid or evil. Many have embraced an attack on truth and choose to say anything whether it is rooted in reality or not. And this binary approach to everything is deceptive and destructive. It is breaking down the institutions on which we depend to live with one another. And in the things that matter, it's making us weaker every day. We need a new way of talking. And I think you're the place for that because here you're willing to talk about anything, not with a spirit of certainty, but one with conviction and with humility. Here you're willing to learn from each other and hear each other out, not because we agree, but because we are committed to each other even when we don't agree. And here we know, if they're talking about it out there, we need to be talking about it in here. If they're concerned about it out there, we need to bring that concern in here that the light of our faith can be shed on this. We need a new way of conversation. Our faith calls us to talk about the things that matter and to do so with truth and love. Now, I don't... I don't know what you think about when you think about the promised day of God, but it's not small. Maybe you think of justice rolling down like waters like Amos did. Maybe you think of swords being beaten into plowshares like Isaiah did. Maybe you think of the poor being filled with good things like Mary did. Maybe you think of all God's children finding their place at the feasting table where there's room for everyone and enough to go around. I don't know what you think about, but Jesus said the day is coming when we will live with one another defined by love. Do you think God's going to come through? We believe. Help our unbelief. We pray that prayer, and then we do what we can to move one day closer. That makes you pretty unusual, you know? That's why your being here matters. That's why your generosity matters. That's why the kind of prayers you pray matter. Because we're not just playing church here. We're endeavoring to live toward God's promised day. And I don't know, but I think if more folks saw faith like that, 
be hard to say the church doesn't matter. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.